Hey, good evening, friends and family. Uh, welcome to church. My name is Matt Moberg. I will be your host for this portion of the worship program where we are going to together link arms, take our stories, sink them down in the scriptural story in hopes of finding something that is edifying and good. Uh, we are being led throughout the Lent, Lenten season through the lectionary, and tonight we are being led to Paul's epistle to the Romans, which is kind of like his magnum opus. This is as good as it gets for Paul. It is his best work out there. It is uh, foundational for the theological formation of the church. And so I hope that you're excited about going into this text today. Specifically inside of the letter to the Romans, we're going to go into the fourth chapter of that letter. Not all the verses, but I want to let you know what we're stepping into when we go to this chapter. Essentially, when we go to chapter four, we are stepping in and reading somebody else's mail that is speaking about a moment where there is a budding crisis and conflict in the church. What is happening is you have all these Jewish Christians who are in the community, who are telling the Gentile converts that if they want to get in the community, then they need to be circumcised. Old men, you need to come in and be circumcised. Just imagine, if you will, the shock and, dare I say, horror of that. Imagine if you are a, a, um, a Gentile, a non-Jew living in Rome, and you were minding your own business at home one day when you heard a knock on your door, and at your door stood two Jewish Christians who came in, and they gave you this sales pitch on behalf of Jesus and the Christian community, and they're saying, we are going to love one another. We want you to love with us. We want to make the world a better place, heal the world, right? It's a beautiful idea. You take the bait, hook, line, and sinker. You show up at that first team meeting, and before any kind of loving happens, they say, drop your drawers, and they take out the knives. You would say, hard past, not interested whatsoever. Imagine why there might be some form of a conflict brewing in this church. Thank God for Paul. Paul steps onto this scene. Paul is, is um, he is as Jewish as it gets. He's from the tribe of Benjamite. He's a Pharisee of all the Pharisee. He knows the law like the back of his hand. He comes in and he says, put the knives away. That's not necessary. To be a part of the faithful, to be considered among the church of Jesus Christ, it doesn't require that you, you have any skin being cut. It actually just speaks to how is your spirit being formed. It's not about anything that happens on the outside, be it bad or good, be it something that you contribute or something that is cut. That's not what it's about. It's about faith. It's about the movement that happens inside that is creating you into the new person. So Paul, in this drama, in this budding conflict, he comes in and he ends up delivering which, that which might be one of the most important doctrinal beliefs that you can find anywhere in the canon. Paul starts talking about the concept of justification by faith. Please know that prior to Paul doing so, nobody had done so. Like, this is a relatively new idea. When Paul comes in here and he steps into the drama and he talks about what faith is and what faith isn't, this is brand new. And what Paul ventures out to say is that we are made right. It's not because we have value that we are loved. It's because we are loved that we have value. Our value is a gift, not an achievement. And because our value is a gift and not an achievement, we do not have to prove ourselves. We only have to express ourselves. And there is a world of difference between proving and expressing. There is a world of difference in feeling like you need to walk around and show everybody else your trophies and walking around feeling like you don't need to hide your scars. The difference is embodied in the expression of our lives, which we call faith. And to help us understand what faith is, Paul calls to mind the father of the faith, Father Abraham, who had many sons. Paul says this about our dear old dad, Romans 4.18. Paul says, against all hope, Abraham in hope 
believed, and so became the father of many nations. Let me stop there because I am increasingly convinced, and I want to say this carefully because I don't want you all to run out and start rubbing up on like weird stones or staring at vision boards until your eyes bleed, but when I read how Abraham became what Abraham believed, I think that's actually true. I think that you actually do become what you believe that you are. I think that the experience of our lives is determined by the heights of our expectations. And if I'm right about this, if this is actually true, then that's a little troubling because I read this study a while back. Tell me if I've told you guys about this before, but there was a study that came out a few years ago that said, um, here's what's going on inside of your head all day long. On average, you and I and the rest of the human species, we have about 60,000 thoughts that we think every 24 hours. Of those 60,000 thoughts that bounce around in your brain, 48,000 of them are negative. That means that 80% of the noise in your head is trash talk, 20% is pep talk. 80% says you're not enough, 20% says you're going to be just fine. 80% says you are a flipping failure. And 20% says you're not finished quite yet. But how are we not like depressed all the time with that kind of noise in our head? Because even if we've been in quarantine for the past 25 years and we haven't crossed paths with any of our enemies on the outside of our home, we are living with 48,000 bullies in our brain that are making 80% of our time miserable. That's hard to know. That's hard to live with. This is why Solomon says that we need to guard our hearts. Don't let anything mess with the seat of your emotions because what gets stirred up is eventually what gets spit out. Beliefs are not these benign pieces of data that we store in the back of our minds. No, they are active and they edit and they empower our expectations, thus changing all of our expressions, our acts of fidelity. This is why Jesus, this is why he said that it's not, it's not really what goes into somebody that makes them a mess. It's actually what comes out of that person. And I love that line because there are some things that go into me that I can't keep out. Life can be hard. I mean, write that down if you need to, if you've, if you've yet to actually encounter that reality for yourself. Life can be very hard. I know that's obvious to most of us, but it's often missed too. I know that's obvious to most of us, but it's also omitted most often. We don't talk about the heavy because it might risk our experience of the light. I mean, I got a guy in my life just this morning who I was talking to who is going through a lot of different things, and his number one thing that he says over and over again is, it's all good, just because he doesn't really know how to name the fact that it really isn't. It's not always all good. We just found out what, this past week, 500,000 of our brothers and sisters in America lost their lives to this pandemic. We've had 22 million jobs last since, lost since last December and only 12 million have come back. I know somebody who was married to the girl of his dreams and then two weeks ago he woke up to a note from her saying why she was gonna be leaving him. There are people whose dads are getting cancer. There is anxiety that is spiking, loneliness that is not going away. It's not always all good. And so some of the things that get in me, I can't keep out of me. But Jesus says that there is a way for the reality of life to be in you without you needing to become it. There is a way for you to walk through a fire without constantly smelling like smoke. There is a way for you to go through hard times without becoming a hardened person. 
And this is why Paul calls on our collective memory of Father Abraham. Paul says this, Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, since he was about a hundo, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. He faced the fact. Those four words have been in my head since I opened up this text earlier this week. Because when Paul sits out to paint us a picture of Father Abraham that would suggest that he is this celebrated, embodied image of our aspirational aim of faith, Paul says that his faith, your faith, our faith, it starts in facing the fact, which is exactly what Abraham did. When God comes to Abraham at 75 and says, guess what, you're about to be a dad, Abraham kind of looks around and goes, who me couldn't be? You certainly have the wrong address because this body doesn't do what it used to do. It looks good, feels good, but it doesn't work like it once did. It, it is what it is. This is maybe come, if you had come 30, 40 years ago, maybe we could talk about some, maybe we could arrange something, but I'm 75 plus years old now, and it's not in the cards anymore. Paul says that if you want to understand faith, if you want to understand what it looks like to step into the faith, step one is being able to face the facts accepting the terms of reality. And so I've asked you guys this question before, but I just think it's one of the best questions that, that I um, can keep asking you, that I have to keep asking myself, which is the question of, what are you pretending not to know? What are you pretending not to know? What are the habits that you are holding that you're pretending like you're not in your hands? What is the work that you don't want to do because it might cost you? We talked about this in our Birmingham series last night, but um, Dr. King would often speak about self-purification as an essential part of any believer stepping into the formative path of Christ. There has to be these sober assessments of self, asking these hard questions that we tend to want to sidestep and get to the heart of the matter, find out what are you pretending not to know? That you're lonely, that you're not just a casual drinker that you have tried to convince yourself that you are that your marriage isn't all good, that you're not being the parent that your kids need you to be, that your debt is under control, that you're scared about how it is right now and wondering, is this how it always be? Where are the places for you that hurt the most? It's a hard question to answer because the hardest part about being true to who you are is telling the truth of who you are. He's getting honest with yourself. I'm going through the Gospels with some friends from college right now. First time doing so with them. And we're reading through Mark. And we came to that spot in the story where we hear about the woman with the issue of blood. You know what story I'm talking about? Christian, you know what story I'm talking about? Yeah. He's nodding his head. He reads his Bible. What a guy. The woman with the issue of blood. And in the story, we get a glimpse into her life and how she went to doctor to doctor, to specialist to specialist, who all kind of got the lay of the land, faced the facts, and said, like, it is what it is. And eventually, she gets to the hem of Jesus' garment, touches it, and is saved, healed. The issue is gone. I've always read that story like she's Wonder Woman with a cape on her back, and she pushes herself through the crowd, past the, the press and the security guards, and reaches Jesus. What an amazing story of faith. And that all might be embedded inside of that. But when I read it this time, something else jumped out at me. I noticed for the first time in this text that it says, The woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth, which tells me that sometimes she didn't. 
Maybe sometimes she gave about 40-60 on the truth. Maybe she gave some partial truths prior to. But eventually she had to find out what we all find out, which is everywhere you go, there you are. Eventually we do have to tell the whole truth. Paul says that faith begins there. Faith begins in facing the fact and telling the whole truth and in falling on our feet. Paul says that's where faith starts, but it's also not where faith stops. Because faith is that thing that's going to lead you to the ground, but faith will not leave you on the ground. Faith says it is what it is, but then faith goes further and says, but it really is not what it seems. It is what it is, but it's not what it seems. Paul says this, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what God had promised. Did you hear that, church? The reason why so many of us opt to live in denial of reality is because we find it to be more preferable than despair. We assume that if we see all that is around us for what it actually is, we're going to be perpetually stuck in a place of sadness. And some people are. Some people actually do get stuck in the things that they see. Some people do get stuck in a cynical sadness. Some people come out of hiding in denial only to go back into hiding in despair. Because that is what cynicism is. Denial hides from the darkness around you, but cynicism hides in the darkness around you. It provides you with some sort of an anesthetic that keeps you numb without looking dumb, where you don't have to get your hopes up so nobody can come and take them down. It is insecurity with a mask on. And this is actually what I would say is one of the dueling pandemics of the, de- of the day that we are in. There is a sickness of cynicism that has crawled out of the hiding from denial and into the hiding of despair. I mean, have you noticed it? Have you noticed how like, trendy and cool it is to be bitter and better than those who aren't? To be bitter and better than those who still have hope, who are optimists, who are positive, who are excited about the days to come. Cynicism is all the rage. I've heard, we've, we've talked about this before, but you hear it constantly when you hear people who want to step out and pursue something better. Oh, you're going to start a new company? Well, most businesses fail within the first three years. Oh, you think that's going to work out? Well, you haven't really lived enough to really know how the school of hard knocks that life tends to run on actually is. Cynicism is this predetermination of the heart that we are screwed, that that, that person or that place or that opportunity It's not going to work out. You will be let down, so please don't bother trying. This is why it's so much easier to clean up ugly things than it is to create something beautiful. Nobody's going to get mad at you when your neighborhood cleanup is less than pristine, but if you try to create something new that will push back on the systems that are making it dirty, then people will ask questions. Then feathers actually will be ruffled. And so I understand why we are cynical, given the society we are in, given the pandemic circumstances we are dealing with. I get the the sense of despair that is tempting to hide inside of. But the question that cynics never can answer is, what do you actually get to celebrate? Where and how do you actually find your wins? Well, I don't get knocked down. Yeah, but you don't really climb very high either. Well, I don't get my heart broken, but you never fall in love. I don't fail. You don't succeed either. You don't contribute. You're standing still. You are still hiding. And you're more than that because you're human. And for us as a community, I think this is something that especially we would do well to lean in and listen to. 
because I think this is a problem area for us. Don't, don't be rattled by me saying that. I'm not stepping on your fragile toes. We're fine. Don't leave the room. But I do think as a church, this is an area that we could probably work on because one of the things that I, I'm so proud of us for is that we are transparent, that we're honest about these things, about our doubts, about the skeletons in our closets, about the things that we have gone through, all of it, like we'll come clean, we'll let ourselves be seen. We trust one another enough to create a context that is safe enough to do so. And so I think that one of the beautiful parts about us is that we're not afraid to show our scars. But I do think sometimes we're afraid to show our hopes. I think it's beautiful that we're not afraid to talk about where we've been, but I do think sometimes we get worried when we talk about where we are going and what we're going for. And in doing so, we're still hiding in, in, in the darkness. Maybe not from the denial of the, maybe not from the darkness in denial, but we are hiding in the darkness through despair. I read that poem last month from Jack Gilbert where he says something like, you need to risk delight. Part of risking delight is being able to risk being disappointed, being let down. Because cynics, at the end of the day, while they might sell papers, they don't get to change the world because they don't have the courage to actually put their necks on the line and pursue the thing behind the thing, to believe that the best is still to come. And so if my question for us, that is the same question God had for Abraham, is, is your vision so entrenched in what you deem to be the realities of today that you have lost touch with God's imagination for tomorrow? Paul says that faith is our means of navigating the hidden traps of denial and despair. It's how we keep from being irrational idealists who ignore the grim reality that we live east of Eden and from being the cynics who ignore the eschatological reality that Eden is still on its way. Faith is establishing a vision of the future that doesn't need to be stuck in or spared of the pains of the present moment. Paul says that's what faith looks like. Being here, but longing still for there, trusting still that the good news is on its way. I, I got a big tattoo on my arm yesterday afternoon. Went to go see my guy, James Gunn, from Australia. The gunner from Down Under is what I call him in my head. I don't say it out loud because he's bigger than me. But he spent about three hours after looking me in the eyes and telling me that he would never hurt me, stabbing me in the arms, blood all over the place, swelling, happening immediately. It was a painful experience. Just trying to went, get some Caravaggio art on my arm and it went south so quickly. But afterwards, after the three hour gig was up and my tears were wiped away from my face, he walked me over to the, the mirror and I held up the, the the piece that I brought into him and I held it up next to the art that was on my arm and I said, oh, this isn't like a um, replica of what I asked for. <laughs> there seems to be a problem here. This is a departure from what I was itching for. And he goes, well, Matt, that's not the case actually because what you are seeing right now is you're seeing the stencil lines that I drew on your skin prior to underneath it and you're seeing some blood and you're seeing that numbing spray that I had to wipe all over you because you were whimpering halfway through. That's all in there. But when you go home and you bandage that thing up, when you go home and you take that bandage off and you wipe some ointment on it and you take a shower and you lotion it up and you tend to the wound that is your arm right now, the beauty of the art will emerge. Faith is tending to the wounds that we are in right now, trusting that the beauty of the art will emerge. And so that's what we do together. Thank you for being with us. We love you. We'll see you next week.
And that's the reminder. It's like in the song. It says strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. That the pain that we're feeling now is for a better future. That we're, we're birthing something to come. And that is what faith is. And that reminder we find in Jesus when we break bread together and we drink the cup together and we hear Jesus saying, my body broken for you and my blood shed for you. And so together, let's say the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray and saying, our God who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever.